everybody who comes to uproot their life and plant in Boston or who has grown up in Boston and plants their life has a pretty incredible, unique story. Um, some stories are more exciting to me than others. I don't know why I feel like that. Maybe you feel like that. Some stories of God working in people's lives just kind of will make the hair on your neck stand up at times. You know, I don't, I don't know if you feel that way. And, and Simon uh, is one of those stories. Like, the from the moment that I heard about you, I love what God is put in your heart. I loved hearing your story. And uh, David Butler brags on you so much. And so many of the men... I, I, I paid him to say that. That's right. So many of the men that I respect a ton as pastoral leaders uh, love what God has put in these guys' hearts. So I'm going to ask him just a series of about 10 questions before we get to the message today. So just introduce yourself, introduce your family, introduce your team to us, first of all, if you will. Absolutely. First and foremost, I, I thank you guys for the opportunity just to be here. Um, it's a true honor just to, to be part of um, Christ Church here in Charleston. You guys are doing amazing things. We're going to continue to pray for you guys. I ask that you guys continue to pray for us as well. Uh, my name is Simon Sim. I am originally from uh, Connecticut, Bridgeport, Connecticut, <laughs> Southern Connecticut. Um, moved up to Boston about six years ago with my beautiful wife. She's actually sitting right back there. Her name is Popia. Um, I'm 36 years old. I also brought some of my core team members here as well. I have Moses right there who's going to be coming on as an associate pastor of the church. Um, his wife's upon us sitting right next to him. And I have Larry who's going to be our worship director um, going into the church plan as well. Um, so we've been, I've been here in the Boston area for about six years. Um, and the Lord has called and, and, and weighed heavily on my heart as well as my wife's heart to, to church plant um, oh, just over the last couple of years. So I've been working through what the assessment at the North American's Missions Board and the SEND Network, um, and the Lord's been blessing us since then. Nice. Um, even before we get into sort of a church plant stuff, will you yep. tell, because you were born in Connecticut. Correct. So tell your family story of how they came. It was sure. your parents who came to the U.S., Correct. right? Yep. Will you share that with us? Absolutely. I was actually born in the Philippines. Uh, but I lived and was raised in Connecticut. So my parents, um, you know, are probably obviously from Cambodia. Um, my dad was working uh, with the Khmer Republic Army um, at the time. It's you know in the, the late seventies. Um, at the time, if you guys don't know, they were going through a huge war in Cambodia, um, where uh, you know Pol Pot and the Khmer regime was coming from you know Vietnam and coming into Cambodia um, and literally trying to overthrow the government at the time. So there's this huge civil war going on, and my dad was fighting against the Khmer Rouge. Um, and he was a general in the army, so um, for five or six years he was, you know, going through jungles and just in, in full-blown warfare. And um, there was one time where he came home um, after, you know, two or three days of, of, of living in a jungle, came home to his parents' house, and, um, you know, my grandparents were, were gone, completely gone. And um, when he arrived, the, the people that were living in a neighboring hut ran down the road, um, and they said... I'm sorry, but they took your parents because they found your dog tags, um, and they executed them. Um, they shot him in the head and then just loaded them on a wagon, um, and literally dragged their bodies um, just to be thrown into a ditch with, you know, thousands and thousands of other dead bodies. Um, so my father learned that his parents were murdered literally on the spot, um, and then from then and there he was like, "This, like, I, I can't do this for my family." So he grabbed my mom, who was pregnant with my older sister at the time. Um, grab whatever belongings that they can literally fit in a knapsack and ran straight into the jungle. And, and they took a three-day trek in the jungle uh, to try to leave Cambodia. Um, so they took three days of walking and hiding in, in bushes and in rivers and, and anywhere that they can hide. Um, they finally made it to the border of Thailand. Um, 
in, into a refugee camp called Kawadan, and as soon as they crossed over there, my sister was born two days, literally after. So can you imagine if they just got stuck in the desert, just or, or the desert, I'm just thinking about Moses now. Uh, imagine if they stuck in the, in, in, in the jungle for a couple more days, then I don't think my sister would have made it, because she would have been born right in the jungle. So praise the Lord, you know, God, you know, God's provision took them over to Thailand two days in, and she was literally born on a newspaper. Um, and she, they, she, they were born here, and my dad let, wrote a letter to the U.S. Embassy saying, listen, I'm number three on the hit list for the Khmer Rouge, um, because he was a general in the army. Um, so they're looking for me, and they're, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill my entire family if we can't find or seek asylum in the U.S. or anywhere that you can send us. Um, so he wrote the letter, and then it, it took a little bit over a year in, in Thailand, and then it was literally uh, two months before the, the Kawadan camp was getting ready to close down. We were like, okay, anybody that's Cambodian refugees are going to have to go back into Cambodia. And this is just towards the end of the war. Everything is still up in, in the air. Nobody knew exactly, you know, nothing was solidified if safety really existed. Um, and they finally got a response from the U.S. like, yes, we will allow you to seek asylum in the U.S., um, but we want you to go to the Philippines first because you're going to take some ESL courses, you're going to go through medical checkups and things like that. Um, and my sister was already born, and then at that time, my wife, uh, my wife, my, my mom was pregnant with me, um, and then when we went, came into the Philippines, I was born in the Philippines. Um, was only there for a couple of months, and then we came over to the U.S. in 1983. It's only three months old, so I don't really remember the, the, the journey in itself. Um, but the Lord has protected them, and my dad gave his life, and so same thing when my mom gave his life to Christ right there in, in Kaodan Camp in Thailand. Um, and then they came over to the U.S. Um, now, as soon as they got on the plane, they felt like, okay, everything is good, you know, like we're going to a plan of, uh, you know, the land of, of milk and honey at this point, right? And then they got here, and the first thing that they did was that they stayed in Connecticut, um, and they would look for a Cambodian, at least networking of churches or anybody that was Cambodian, just to get associated with. Um, and they found out that there was actually a Cambodian church that was just starting up, and they started in 1980, so they're only about three years old. Um, and then he goes and, and joins the... the um, the congregation there in Connecticut, and he meets this individual in which um, he looks like this guy looks really familiar, and I feel like God is drawing me to this individual for some reason. He looks really familiar. Um, so he was there for a good year until he finally realized why he looked familiar. Um, at the time, his, his name was Ponsor, and he was uh, one of the head of elders in, in the church. Um, and my father recognized him as one of the, the leaders of the Khmer Rouge, in which he was fighting against. So at this point, like, he's, he's like, in, sitting in a room with, oh, man, like, the Lord's called me here, but I'm sitting across the table from a person who has his hand bloodied with, with, with murder. I mean, he may have not committed murders himself, but he was general. He sent people to commit these things. Um, so from there, like, his entire life was turned and switched upside down. He was like, God, what do you want me to do with this life? Um... And after much prayer and, and, and being, building a sense of intimacy with the Lord, the Lord just called him like, I'm not bringing you here because um, I want somebody else to lead you to be closer to me. I'm bringing you here because I want you to be the difference maker. Um, and from there he studied and he became, you know, uh, one of the, the head elders over there. He's one of the main preachers that helps out the pastors and associate pastors. Until this very day, he still serves at the very church alongside the very same individual. Um, and that's just an amazing story because like, I, I think back to that story because that's the kind of things that Cambodian people, at least first generation Cambodian people, run through when they're building ministries or working inside of ministries. It's like, 
I know you're devoted, but I don't know where you're from. I don't know where your family is from. I, I don't know if I can trust you. So there's this subconscious PTSD that, well, that clicks in your mind every time. And that's the reason why, at this very point, we, we run into a lot of you know, difficulties and factors of not being able to multiply, of not being able to go and evangelize, because I don't want to talk to somebody I don't know, because I don't know where you came from. Because you talk about Khmer people, Cambodian people, murdering Cambodian people. We're not talking about a whole other ethnicity. We're not talking about a whole other country. We're talking about Cambodians murdering millions of Cambodians. So even to this day in, the, in this Boston area, we still see those remnants of, of those, those social and those, and those mental um, anguish that they've gone through in their past. Um, so that's just the story of how we came to the U.S. Um, and so I was raised in the church and I gave my life to Christ when I was 13 years old. So. Hey, well, somebody make sure to take a photo, by the way, of he and I talking. And, and make sure you get my good side, if I have a good side. I don't know what it would be, but try to do that so we can make sure to post on Instagram. We have Photoshop. We'll figure it out. You look good. I am just glad to be here. Yeah, Photoshop. Uh, there's, not a, there's not an app or a photo uh, editing program good enough to help me, pal. Uh, tell us about the name of the church plant, kind of the vision, mission for what you guys, what God's called you to do. Absolutely. So um, the name of the church is Above the Hills Church. Um, we prayed and argued for months on end. You can ask my team about uh, what it is that we're going to call the church. And uh, Moses' wife, Sopana, was actually, you know, doing her devotional. She's reading Micah chapter 1. And it was talking about how, you know, the house of the Lord we built on the hill and praised above the hills. Um, so we decided just to go well, with that because it really stood up to us. And plus, we were tired of arguing with each other. Um, <laughs> but in terms of the missions of the church, we, we, we want to be as countercultural as humanly possible. Uh, the reason why I say that is because Cambodian people is a... Their, their culture is everything to them. Um, and what's tough is that Buddhism is also tied into that culture as well. So you're not just fighting the culture of being Cambodian, you'd be fighting the culture of being Buddhist. And they don't, they don't see the differentiating line between Buddhism and Cambodian. Um, so we wanted to do everything to sort of turn that pot over. We don't want to flip their lives upside down and cause havoc, right? But sometimes the spirit works in that manner, right? Um, and for us, we just want to um, make sure that we want them to so to live a life that builds intimacy with the Lord in a way where it's like you as a child of God defines who you are first before you defining yourself as Kimbo. Um, and we want to be able to continue to push, push and build on that. Like allow the Lord to identify and re-identify who you are as opposed to I'm Kimbo first and I'm a Christian second. Man, one thing I love about your guys' mission, so these guys, there are probably dozens, you maybe can tell me the number, of what are called first-generation Cambodian churches in America, and especially up and down the East Coast. Um, those tend to be much more culturally Cambodian, and even a lot of times the worship is not in English. Uh, but now you've got this, gener this next generation of the children of people who emigrated here mm -hmm. during the killing fields, and so you guys are planting... This is the first, second generation Cambodian church on the East Coast, right? So tell us why that's needed. Why we don't just continue to need first generation Cambodian churches. Why we need second generation Cambodian churches. Right. Uh, the, the, the need is, is super urgent and dire. The reason being is because when the first generation Cambodian churches were you know, planted in the 70s and even you know, the, the early 80s, right? Um, we're talking about culturally Cambodian. Um, the Cambodians have a, a, a thing in their mind where they feel like even living in the U.S., they feel like they're visitors first, as opposed to being home. So the westernization of Cambodian culture just doesn't exist with the first Cambodians. So as the second generation and the third generations came along, um, we're talking about people that barely even speak Cambodian. Um, so you're talking about people that were raised and born in, say for instance, the Boston area, versus people that were born and raised in the jungles of Cambodia. Cultures, language, 
everything is completely different from each other. So as times go on and the first generations are now in their 70s and 80s, in retirement age and, or even at the age of, of going to see the Lord, right? Um, the, it's that turnover of, of that age um, and the lack of a transition plan for the next generation to take over the church is what's making the first generation churches struggle and dwindle down now. Like just within, like say for instance in Massachusetts alone, we're talking about 10 years ago, we had 14 Cambodian churches, right? The way we're sitting right now, we have four. Because they're all first generation Cambodian churches. Everybody's retired, moved down south to the warmer weather in, in Florida. I don't want to go with them. Um, and then we're stuck here in the, the four seasons, you know, you know what I mean? So it's like now the second generation, as we grow up, there's only a select few that, are, that, that, that was able to experience, live, and understand the first generation Cambodian culture and language. And then everything else from second generation on does not understand anything. So as these churches started to go on, the second generation, third generation Cambodians started to walk out of the church. Because like, I don't understand the language. I don't understand the culture. I can't, there's nothing here for me that I can grow from. I'm literally here because my mom made me do it for the last 10 years. But now I'm 18, I can make my own decisions. I'm out. And that's what was happening. People were leaving. So it, it's gotten to the very point where it's like there's no second generation Cambodian church in the entire East Coast. There's one in San Diego. So you're talking about from, from west to east, there's none. There's one in San Diego. And there's nothing on the East Coast, especially in New England. So now we have these wanderers of people who've been experienced in a Cambodian church, or, or, or even some, some of them have even given their life to Christ, but just don't have a place to grow because they don't understand the language. So now they have these wanderers of just going out, they're going in their college ages, they're getting married and stuff like that, but they don't have a place to call home. And we've been fighting, Moses and I and my team have been fighting for the last 10 years of creating that balance and, and that bridge between the first generation Cambodian, because you know, I'm fluent in, in Cambodian as, as well as Moses, um, in building the bridge of understanding and, and of language between the first and second generation. And we've been doing that for 10 years where we're building programs in Connecticut where like churches from Virginia, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, we're all traveling to Connecticut to meet once a year and in fact call no boundaries where all the generations can finally sit together, praise in, in, in either language. Um, and we've been doing that for so long and it got to the very point where, where God was talking to us like, I don't need you to continue to do parachurch ministry anymore. I want you to find a place in which all my people are congregated, are, are stacked. And Lynn was it. Just sitting inside of Lynn, the 60 mile radius around Lynn is 23,000 Cambodians. 23,000 Cambodians. And I got seven people part of our core team. So we are outnumbered. You know, we have a lot of work to do. You know, and that's, that's the reason why you know, I'm sitting alongside you know, JD, because you know, I'm trying to absorb as much wisdom and good looks as possible. <laughs> you got matching you know? shirts. Yeah, that's true. You know, we, I, we didn't even plan that. We figured that out. You know? yeah. I know it's hard to even tell which one is Simon and which one is JD right now with our outfits looking so similar. Tell me, um, I'm going to skip around on some of the questions. Yeah. What excites you guys the most? What scares you guys the most right now? Um, what excites us the most is just the fact that um, we are going to be... Uh, <laughs> the, the funny thing is what excites me and what scares me is the exact same thing. Um, what excites me is just the fact that we are going to be the first and you know, part of the Senate market in North American board to be planting a Cambodian church. What scares me? We are going to be the first <laughs> in North American board in Senate to be planting this Cambodian church. Um, what also scares me is just the fact that what we're called to do um, goes against so many grains at so many levels. Um, so it, 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 it may seem like it, we're rubbing a lot of people off the wrong way. And it's not because they're against what we're doing, um, but they have no idea what we're doing. Because church planting, um, 
that, that doesn't translate in Cambodian language. There's no such thing. It's amazing. You know what's so funny is this is not that dissimilar to what we're doing here, by the way. Like the idea that, hey, maybe your grandparent went to church, but because the church didn't speak your language, mm. you have a, a generation of people in and around Boston who are English speakers uh, from an Anglo background or an Irish background, and that's their story too. Yep. And, um, and they don't understand. Like even for us, when we people will say, oh, you're a new church in Charlestown. Where do you meet? Well, we meet at the Harvard Kent. A church can't meet in a school. We're like, yes, we can. Come watch us. Like, we'll do it every Sunday at 10 a.m. Like, people, I'll, be, I'll meet an aisle three Walmart. That's right. That's, that's snack good. aisle. That's good. <laughs> what? Um, just share with us really quickly. What's ahead for your team? Like, what's your timeline to begin to meet every Sunday? Yeah. So what we've been doing is that we've been meeting um, every other week, or sometimes every you know, two or three weeks, uh, with a core team. You know, my main leaders are here, and we have a consistent attendance of 20 to 25 people that are meeting with us as well. Uh, we've been meeting at Genesis. Uh, which is the church of Wilburn. Um, our next meeting is not until August 11th, um, but I just joined Genesis staff as being a resident there. Um, I'm joined, walking alongside Michael as he teaches me and, and shows me the ropes of church planning as well because he's a successful church planner himself. Their church is only nine years old, um, um, but they're super healthy and, and successful in what they do. Um, so I'm trying to steal every idea possible. Um, so I start the residency early June. Um, and the, the, I was just telling JD this earlier, is that the last two months of me part of residency, I've learned so much. And I was a pastor in the Cambodian church, a healthy Cambodian church in Connecticut for 10 years. Uh, the last two months of me being in that residency, I've learned so much to the very point where it's like, I was excited for the learning, but it made me realize how dumb I really was. Like, I really knew very, very, very little. Um, so that, that's the reason why I'm surprised. I'm like, why would JD ask me to come and, and, and speak today? Um, but, you know, I've learned so much, and what we're going to do is that we're going to continue to meet on a, on a bi-weekly basis. We're going to continue to build our team. We want to take it slow, even though there's a lot of people like, hurry up, build, hurry up and open your doors. There's so many Cambodians that are looking for home churches. Uh, but we want to take our time. We want to follow the timing of the Lord. We want to make sure that we're building our team correctly, because the last thing we want to do is burn anybody out a um, couple of months into the, the church plan itself. So we're going to be aiming for, after Cambodian New Year's next year, which is probably going to be in May, which is, you know, the end of spring, early summer. Um, to, to do an official launch. That's cool. How can we, as a church, pray for you? How can we serve you? Any ways that our church can bless you guys? Yeah, um, um, prayer is, is the number one thing we will always ask for, first and foremost, um, because without the Lord and the Spirit, we would not be able to do anything, right? Um, so there's a couple of things that I would love for you guys to pray for. Um, one, pray for yourselves. Um, that pray that the Lord continues to fill your cup um, and, and make you sensitive to the, to, to the needs of the community. Uh, whether you're here in Charlestown or, or, or where else, right? Number two, pray for the city of Lynn. Um, there's just so much going on there with, with, uh, the, with poverty issues, with drug issues, um, and there being so many Cambodians there um, that we, we have a lot of things that we need to get done. Um, but before we do that, we want to be able to make sure that we send the spirit in there first to be able to touch the hearts of the people because we can't do anything without that. So pray for them. Um, three, pray for my team. Um, they've been working hard, 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 hard. Um, uh, Meetings after meetings after meetings, and happen to hear my voice on an hourly, hourly basis, and we it's a hard thing to do. But they've, they've been super dedicated, so I uh, continue to pray that the you know the Lord continue to bless their tongues and hands and feet as we go on. Um, but not only that, uh, we are definitely um, in need of some resources. Uh, we've been weeding in, in, in Woburn for what two months now, um, and we are in dire need of getting into Linz sooner than later. Uh, I know that our launch is not going to be until May of next year. Um, but there's so many Cambodian families that are, are in need of a program that we're trying to create now, um, and they can't travel half an hour from Lynn all the way to Wilburn to meet with 
that. Uh, so for us, we need to get into to, to Lynn ASAP. Um, so just praying over the fact that we need a location, um, as well as just getting the resources just to have a sufficient sound system just to, to run these programs inland until we can officially launch in, in May of next year. So that's going to be really important for us. Yeah, one thing that I've shared with Simon, I think I've even shared it with you guys as well, is our church is going to buy their sound system. That's going to be just the first thing that we're going to do for them, and we're excited to do that. that well, we nobody looks surprised. So like, uh, and that's a small thing, but that's a big thing. Um, and so, guys, like, I, um, next month we're doing a series here of just three messages called Go Big or Go Home, and one thing that's rooted in that series is making bold moves like we never the kingdom of jesus does not advance slowly and meekly out of an opera out of a like operating system of trying to play it safe now the kingdom does advance meekly and slowly but it doesn't do it out of a, a sense of just trying to hang on to what we got and so as a church we don't want that let's play it safe dna and who we are and so Man, like we're honored to invest that in you guys, and can you? I mean, I, I get the numbers, like twenty-three thousand Cambodians in that radius, and and Lynn, and and just to think that if you got, if when they get to being a church of two hundred and thirty, they will have reached one percent of the people. You know, I think about that in Charlestown all the time. Eighteen thousand people, one square mile. When we get to being a church of one hundred and eighty, we will be one percent of our neighborhood. And uh, man, God, whatever we would, whatever we would dream. God has bigger dreams right. because he loves all 23,000 people. He loves all 18,000 people. Man, thank you for being here. Can I pray for you? Absolutely. Thank you.